I think that was kind of my advantage of being so young and so new to this is that there were no wrong answers <laughs> at the start. We were really open to doing something really different, doing something uncomfortable if it meant it was going to be better. I had no preconceived notions of how production should look like, which I think let us really build it from the ground up of what we felt like it should look like. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza-Landa, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamoto-Wong, the other half of our whole host. This month is a little different. Like last August, we are taking a break from our usual format and interviewing those with a little more experience or unique jobs within the animation space or close to the animation space. With that said, our guest this week is Jalisa Saliva. She's a Filipino-American artist and the creator of the PBS kids show, Jelly Ben and Pogo. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Sure thing. Hello, and thanks for having me. So I'm Jalisa, and like you said, the creator of Jelly Ben and Pogo. I've been in the animation industry for about six years now, and I used to work at Primal Screen here in Atlanta, Georgia. Before that, I went to SCAD Atlanta, where I graduated with a BFA in animation. And yeah, my hobbies now are rock climbing, which I'm not good at, but I really, really like doing. <laughs> and oh, nice. um, I, I yeah. just started getting into rock climbing myself. Oh, awesome. Wait, do you do you do bouldering or do you do like the full like tethered? I do auto belaying. I done bouldering, but that one's still really hard for me, especially mm. when there's like an incline. Uh, but yeah, my wife and I do a lot of auto belaying, so we we've, we've been rock climbing together a lot. That's you cool. You don't belay your wife. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't have a thing for you to belay. They only oh, have the auto okay. belays at the oh. at the gym that I go to. It's yeah, it's only auto belaying and bouldering. And yeah, I'm trying to work my way up. I'm I'm. I feel like I'm improving each time, but like there's still some stuff I cannot tackle. Mm. That's okay. I mean, that's the best part about it is like it's a puzzle and it's a great way to be, mm-hmm. for me to like trick my brain into thinking that I'm not working out because I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just trying to solve this wall. I'm not <laughs> exercising. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. Like um, just having a goal to work towards in the rock climbing is like, oh, I'll get to the top and then I'll, I'll come back down. And like then it's a little workout, but like you don't think about it that way. Yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun reaching the top and just letting go when you're audible lane because then the thing just kind of guides you down. Mm. My wife, for the life of her, can't let go. So she'll climb up and then she'll climb all the way down. <laughs> Even though she has the audible lane to catch her, she just doesn't trust it. She'll just she's like, it's OK, I'm getting double the workout because I'm climbing the way down. See, that's why I feel like when you start, you just have to like fall from <laughs> like the top of the bouldering thing just to get used to the sensation of like falling without control and realizing that you'll probably be okay though i I did injure myself once already because (laughs) apparently i like let go but didn't just let go i like yeeted my body away from the wall (laughs) and like almost missed the mat but i lived so that's good yeah no i've definitely had an experience where like i reached the top i was such in a weird position to like um because when you had a belay like you touch that little well same thing with bouldering you kind of touch the top to kind of signify like i did it Mm -hmm. so so in the position I was, I was able to touch the the thing or the top, but in doing so, like I lost all of like my center of gravity. Where like I basically fell after touching it. No. Like again, the thing caught me, but I, I've that's I've only experienced that one where I was like, touch it. Oh shit! Oh. 
Yeah, your life definitely flashes before your eyes for a second. <laughs> well, it's scary because it's like a, a counterweight, so it doesn't like immediately pull you back. You like fall a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, very cool. Before we get into more about you, Jalisa, the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. This might be familiar. (laughs) We used to do this on our team. (laughs) Go for it. Okay. All right. We'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather be roommates with Jesus and Buddha from Saint Young Men or with Mike and Sully from Monsters, Inc.? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus and Buddha. Hands down. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, okay. I, same, I mean, same. <laughs> you, I guess you asked this because you know this, or I'm not sure, but like that's one of my favorite animes of all time. And oh wow, I, I'll rewatch that like every other year or so because it's just it's like a nice little reset. It's very wholesome. It's cute. It gives me a little bit of hope in Aww. humanity, kind of again. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're so. They're so kind, like, and their view of the world, like the human world, is so adorable and yet so Mm. wise. What a great energy Mm -hmm. to be around. Mike and Sully, I feel like I'd be like a third wheel with those guys. Like, (laughs) their bromance is too strong and I just, I wouldn't be comfortable. They would have like inside jokes I wouldn't be able to get in on. (laughs) Oh, true, true. That's a a fair point. And then I guess... Because, okay, to my extent of knowledge of St. Young Men, it's, all I know is that it's, the main characters is Jesus and Buddha and their, yes. their roommates. They live together. Yeah. And it's about their little adventures. They're, like, taking a break from, <laughs> from yeah. the ascended world. They're, like, we're on a vacation uh, by living in <laughs> modern-day, like, Japan. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, same, same reasons, Julissa. I really love uh, St. Young Men. It's just, like, a silly slice of life. and. I was raised Buddhist, so, like, some of the jokes are, like, really funny to me. And in in the same way of, like, there's a lot of, like, religious references in there. And it, I feel like it's it's a good, like, lighthearted time because you're like, okay, well, that part is a little silly. <laughs> and, and seeing it in sort of, like, a comedic um, context like that, it's like, well, you know, religion gives people hope and stuff like that. But really, like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, and mm-hmm. they do it so respectfully. Like, I really yeah, think totally. the writing in there is great. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people don't enjoy Slice of Life because there's not a lot of movement in the story. But I, there's a lot of detail that you get to focus on when the pacing is mm-hmm. so casual. And mm-hmm. it's so fun for me to watch with people who are religious. And there's there's no offense taken when they watch it because it's just so kind and wholesome in every way possible yeah (laughs) it's up there with like the animal crossing anime to be like no one gets mad watching this (laughs) oh man see i would i think i would actually go with mike and sully okay roommates with them only because i feel like i would be questioning all of my actions living with jesus and buddha You're too I, close I, I, to it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'd, I'd be too inclined to actually go to church <laughs> or like just question my own whole belief system. I just feel like like I would probably have to say a Hail Mary anytime I would, I would let out a curse word, especially when Jesus is in the room. 
or the way my family says Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you would be with Jesus. <laughs> so I think that's the only that's the main reason why I think I would roommate with with Mike and Sully. Plus, I think I think it'd be more fun. I think I'd be able to bro around with them, which would be cool. I was gonna say uh, it's very bro energy. It's very frat yeah. energy. <laughs> it <laughs> is. With Mike and Sully. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm I'm game. I'm game for the the frat energy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lovely answers. All right, uh, last question. Would you rather eat at Mudka's Meat Hut from The Emperor's New Groove or at the Krusty Krab from SpongeBob SquarePants? If I'm at the Krusty Krab, like can I breathe underwater? Is it like sandy where I have to have like a helmet? You you can breathe. You're I feel like a like fish. you can be a fish or whatever. I'm a right? fish. Yeah. yeah, you can be a fish. Underwater. Ah, uh, that's hard. That's really hard. Cause like <laughs> at the meat hut, like if Kronk is cooking, hmm. Okay. Then, what? It, yeah. Is that the only? Is that the only like tips the scale? Yes, because like Kronk, I, I think also too, Kronk would whip up some really awesome cultural dishes, and like when you boil mm. it down, the Krabby Patty is a burger. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I've never had a mind blowing burger like burgers hit like they plateau at some point on how great of a dish they can be. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I guess I'd say the meat hut. Oh, OK. If Kronk is there for sure. But even if he wasn't, you know what? Maybe I, I think I still would. That bug looks really messed up, but I do want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my exact thought. I was like, man, I really want to eat that bug. You know, Cusco's like about it, but I'm like, wait, but like, it looks so like tender. I don't know. Yeah, you can drink it. What is that? I want Mm. that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Any food that, unless it's like a, it's a, it's a smoothie or like a milkshake or soup. I don't want to be slurping anything. (laughs) Really? No. Oh, I didn't know that. It's just, it's a bug. You're slurping its innards. No. What if it's like custardy? Nah. <laughs> it's still a bug. Unless, like, unless that was like the presentation of it where it's like it's meant to be this big roly poly, but they actually took out all the innards and, it's, and they put a custard in it to like make it look like the innards and fine. But if it's the actual innards of the of the big ass roly poly, I, I, I can't do it. Do you, I, I would still choose the meat hut. I would just not order that. Uh, oh, OK, OK. Do you like lobster? Because that's a big bug. <laughs> yeah, but you don't slurp lobster. <laughs> So it's just a textural. Is is it the bug thing or is it the texture thing? I think it just again the in my mind it's like the only things I'm I'm meant to slurp is soup, and milkshake, and like I guess a smoothie. Like anything outside of that, it's like it's not meant to be slurped. So if they blended <laughs> the bug in a blender and made it a smoothie, <laughs> bug smoothie. I think that's what Ray is saying. It's not. Yeah, that he wouldn't yeah. go for it. But yeah, there's no, ice no cream in it. <laughs> no! no, no <laughs> this is bug. getting worse. It's getting worse. <laughs> I can't. I'm desperately I, I'm, trying I'm, to find I'm, a way. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are adventurous enough to try that. I am not that adventurous. That's fair. That's I, fair. I will, I will gladly pass. Oh, you know the other thing is that place gives like Waffle House vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. Uh, like Waffle House <laughs> is a thing out here that I didn't know because like I'm originally from California, ran out from California out here mm-hmm. in like the south. <laughs> Waffle House is such a big thing. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, it's like a 
It's like a Denny's, but more dangerous. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna, is, is it more like Denny's, Denny's or is it more like IHOP? <laughs> Danger Denny. <laughs> no, it's not in the same league as IHOP. It's definitely below it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But they're this open is in like 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like a Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Because, yeah, man, I, I like a good waffle, though. I like a good waffle or a good pancake. It's not a good waffle. <laughs> You really it's it's like medieval times like you go for like the show and you go for like the the vibe but you don't go because the food is great like you kind of uh. like the food is only good because it's 3 a.m. and you guys are all drunk and you want to like eat something but but the drama is really what what makes everything better there there's always mm-hmm. something going down at a waffle house <laughs> it's true and there's like a waffle house every three blocks yeah, or at least sure. there was at certain parts of Atlanta when I was driving. Literally, like, would see a Waffle House and then three blocks down there'd be another and you'd be like, how are either of these open? Yeah. I don't know. Well, these have been great answers. You have been amazing responses. Thank you so much for playing uh, with us, Jalisa. And then to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future in between questions, send us a message either on Twitter, Instagram, at straightaheadap, or send us an email at straightaheadpodcasts at gmail.com. So to start off again, want to thank you once again for being on the podcast. We're so happy to have you on. And yeah, let's talk about how you first got your start working in animation. Sure. So I got my start as a freelancer. So after I graduated um, from SCAD, from the animation department, I um, freelanced for a bit. Like I was freelancing right before I graduated too with a friend mm-hmm. um, doing like a music video. I... I worked on the cinematics for Battleborn <laughs> with like an incredible team of like veteran animators. I don't know how I got that gig, but somehow I did. And then after that, I freelanced for Primal for about a year and then they um, picked me up like full time. So up until about end of last year, I was at Primal Screen. Mm-hmm. So your first freelancing opportunity was not with Primal. It was just with some other like just one project, one and done. Yeah, they were just like random gigs that I was picking up um, while I was still at SCAD. And then for a couple of months after that, that was like Battleborn. I graduated and um, was working on that, too. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, could you actually tell us a little bit more about your time at Product Scheme as an animator, considering that you spent a good, at least initial part of your career working there? Yeah. So I started as a freelancer, um, as a 2D animator, and I almost didn't get in. And the only reason I really got in was because they needed someone who could do traditional 2D, like drawn animation for um, like a couple gigs that they had coming up. And because my reel was like all that, I didn't really have much puppet stuff on there. Mm -hmm. They brought me in for that specifically, but thankfully they were so happy with my work. They kept me on for other things. And I also like volunteered myself for a lot of other projects. I was like, I can do character design. I can, I'll animate this, <laughs> whatever you want, I'm here. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I freelanced for a bit and then they hired me as an animator and then I moved up to a director a couple of years after that and did like different projects here and there. I directed S's for Seasons on Sesame Street. Um, oh, cute. The uh, Portal Chase stuff on Nickelodeon. I did the last one on that, I directed on that. 
Awesome. And some like PBS Kids stuff. So yeah, I've been working with PBS Kids for a while now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the pieces are coming together now in my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Primal has a long, long history with PBS Kids. Um, they're responsible mm. for like their major rebrand. So. Oh. Oh wow. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. That they were like so closely linked. Like I knew they did a lot of stuff. Um, but I, I wasn't mm-hmm. aware that it was like, like you said, due to like their whole rebranding and all. Mm-hmm. I guess while we're on the topic of PBS Kids, you are the creator and showrunner of the PBS Kids sh- uh, series Jelly Ben and Pogo. First of all, congrats! How amazing! How amazing is that? Just being able to create and like run your own show. And then second, uh, for our audience who may or may not be aware, Yuki also worked on Jelly Ben and Pogo. <laughs> As an animator. <laughs> so could you tell us how you first came up with the idea for the series and how that idea kind of developed over time? Yeah, so I came up with it back in 2018. PBS Kids actually put out an RFP, a request for proposal. They were looking for new IP for like an interactive show. So the original pitch for Jellybun and Pogo was like, almost like an open world kind of show game where like the stories had interactive things and stuff like that. That was the original idea. Oh, Kind of similar to like Dora or like just audience participation like that, where it's like interactive in that sense or like actual interactive, like where you would watch online and you can click things. Yeah. Like that, like actual interaction. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It was really cool. And it's like still in the back of our minds of like knowing that it came from that and wanting to do that. But I came up with it because we were pitching a lot of things internally at Primal to see what we were going to send off to PBS Kids. And they had put in their RFP that diversity was really important. And they were looking for diverse stories, diverse characters. And I was getting really frustrated because a lot of the pitches didn't feel diverse to me. It didn't feel right. And Mm. eventually I just went home like in a fit of rage and just drew a bunch (laughs) of things. And Pogo was actually the first one I drew. And I drew like some kid and then eventually drew, I think, like Jelly. And I asked another coworker, like, hey, I, I have something. Like, do you want to help me make it? I don't know what it is yet. And we came in like on a Saturday and like brainstormed like what this could be and realized like, you know what? Like if I'm Filipino, which I am, like I can tell a Filipino story. That's a real diverse story. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? Like, if I don't take this opportunity, who will? And I got a little crew at Primal Screen to help me, like, really flesh it out into the pitch that we created back in 2018. But it has since then grown from that. Uh, The characters have changed a little bit. They look much better now. And their characteristics (laughs) are more defined. And the way we talk about culture is a little different, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. To say, like, the way you talk about culture is, is different? Was that because your team was not primarily Filipino or, like, the way that you communicate that? I think there was just more fear from me personally because mm. I hadn't seen Filipino content ever on American television. So I thought, like, this isn't really the marketable part of our property. The marketable part is Pogo and the, like, wonder of being underwater with her and stuff like that but it wasn't until pbs kids like really got involved and said no we want more filipino stuff like make it more filipino that's when i realized like oh that's actually this is the marketable thing to them like this is the thing that they actually care about and we leaned Mm -hmm. into it way way more once we developed it into a show 
Interesting. And then I guess kind of a question on that. Jelly Ben Pogo, it's for a younger audience, younger demographic. Before kind of like, you know, pitching that and working on that, how familiar were were you with like a lot of like preschool content or kids content? Or did you go out and start watching more to kind of get an idea of like typically how that kind of show is made or like what is kind of like the idea of like what's presented on screen? Yeah, I was a little bit familiar with pre-K content working at Primal because we worked on like a lot of Sesame Street projects and PBS Kids projects, Nick Jr. Like we did Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Which, funnily enough, I had no real information about Sesame Street when I joined Primal <laughs> because I didn't watch it growing up. So mm-hmm. when I got my first gig working on Super Salad Diner, which is like still playable, I still love that game, <laughs> um, I had to look <laughs> up Bert and Ernie clips because I'm like, I don't know much about these two. I, I, don't, I don't really know their dynamic or anything like that. I don't feel like I can animate them until I know them. So, yeah, all these gigs at Primal are what really got me informed about the pre-K space. But that still wasn't quite enough to fully prep someone for, like, running a show in pre-K space. Mm-hmm. So I did do a lot of research on my own. And then we also brought on Cheryl Gotthelf, who is a curricular legend, if you will. She worked on Magic School Bus and a whole list of really awesome stuff. And she's what really, like, helped guide us and tell us exactly what this space entails and walk us through like what the humor is supposed to look like, what the curriculum is supposed to look like. And PBS Kids also provided us with like really awesome resources. So a lot of the education was happening during development on like how, how to create content for this age range. Mm. Mm. And what was like the hardest part about running uh, Jelly Bean and Pogo? Everything. (laughs) 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 It was really hard. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I I guess before starting, because again, you've worked on PBS content or kids content before running Jelly Ben and Pogo. Was there any pitfalls you tried to avoid or anything you saw like in previous productions that you felt like fell short that you wanted to avoid when producing or showrunning uh, your show? In a way, yeah, because I had seen how projects were run at Primal and we, we hadn't really done our own IP before. Like we've never really mm-hmm. created our own show. So mm-hmm. there wasn't really a guidebook. It was just kind of pieces from like, how did we do smaller productions? And what did I like or dislike about those? And what could I change for a bigger production? Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was like all brand new. A lot of the things that we did were not normal practice at Primal Screen at the time. And on top of that, it, production was during the pandemic. So working remote was not normal practice for Primal because we were pretty insistent as a studio that freelancers came into the studio physically and worked in the same space. Mm. So yeah, we, I, I really prioritize like communication and making sure that, you know, we had regular meetings that the meetings serve different purposes and we had one-on-ones. I wanted to make sure that my team knew that I wasn't like some ethereal being off in the nether that like they didn't know existed like i'm here and if you need me like there aren't like many levels you have to go through to talk to me we also did work alongs that was new because i felt like everyone was super isolated i wanted it to feel a little bit like that we were in the same space sometimes so mm-hmm. yeah there were there were a lot of new things that we implemented that I was basically just trying <laughs> for the first time. And Yuki might remember there were a lot of times I'm like, if nothing is right here, or if like if this doesn't work for you guys, like let me know. And that was genuine. Like we're we're 
<laughs> just pioneering a lot of things. So if this is awful <laughs> and you guys hate it, we will change it. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, really surprised being on the team and how much effort both you and like management and like Joe and, you know, sort of the people who were above the animators, you know, above people like doing the art. I was really surprised how much effort you guys put into not only listening to us, but making a space where we felt like we could be heard because I feel like that's really difficult being at your desk and like drawing away or whatever. And you're like, oh, there's a problem, but like, maybe I'll just, you know, I'll just solve it here. Like, I don't want to bother anyone or like, that's not a problem. There's just, I'm the problem. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you you just kind of sit there and you're like, everybody else is doing fine. So like, why am I not doing fine? That sort of thing. But I think on, on Jelly Ben and Pogo, I really appreciated that we had, we had those uh, weekly meetings in our weekly meetings, you basically had a question for us every time uh, that was similar to in between that we just played, uh, where you'd be like, oh, do you want the power of flight or the power of telekinesis? That kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> just something to ask the team and um, really like, I don't know, just get us to talk and laugh with each other and uh, feel more comfortable. I think it really helped. It's small, but I, I really think that stuff helped, especially during the pandemic. Like you said, everybody's isolated. And then we had the work alongs, like you said, which is like an hour or two, like before the end of the workday on a Thursday, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was just like that was really helpful to me, at least, because we would get on a call, all the animators optional, obviously, but um, just like sitting there and working alongside each other, even virtually was like super helpful to me because then I could ask a small question and being like, I'm having trouble with this or that. And like somebody else in the the call, an animator or, you know, if you were around as the director, you could answer that. But it, it was just like a more casual environment. Sounds weird on a digital space. But yeah. like, it, to me, it felt more casual, more connected, uh, which I think was really important. And so, yeah, I'm really surprised that you again, put in all of that effort because like, I assume running a show is really hectic (laughs) and you have so many irons in the fire that I had no idea how you were able to manage that. And then also look like, keep up the energy. Like you were tired, but you can (laughs) tell that like, you know, we're bringing it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I I definitely think that I was pulling from reserves um, Mm. because you know, like truthfully, like at the end of it, I was pretty burned out. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also par for the course for most showrunners anyway, that it it takes a lot out of you. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that it did help. I think that was kind of my advantage of being so young and so new to this is that Mm -hmm. there were no wrong answers (laughs) at the start. So we were really open to doing something really different, doing something uncomfortable, if it meant it was going to be better. So I had no preconceived notions of how production should look like, which I think let us really build it from the ground up of what we felt like it should look like. Mm -hmm. No, it's really great being able to kind of build something from the ground up and see where it takes you. So I I guess something else I kind of want to ask is that what was it like for you from like the jumps between going from an animator to an animation director and then from there jumping to kind of running your own show? Can you kind of walk us through like the responsibilities of like each role that you kind of had and how big the jump felt to you going from that role from each from one role to the other. So for animator, probably the chillest years (laughs) of my career, (laughs) like all I had to do was make sure the 
the shot was done. And there is a part of me that misses like that amount of responsibility where like if I mess up, the whole train doesn't derail and explode. <laughs> um, so it was very much just like, here's your shot. Get it done. This is the amount of time you have. If you can't get it done, let somebody know. It was nice. It, it was very focused, but very like singular kind of task. I really took an interest to directing very early on, though, because I just I liked the idea of it. So mm. even as an animator, mm -hmm. I was kind of starting to plant the seeds of like, how do I end up a director? Like, how do I learn about these responsibilities or how do I pick up the right tools to become a director one day? Mm -hmm. So then when I finally was like one of the kind of like senior level animators, I, I really just started putting new responsibilities on myself to be like, okay, I'm going to lead this team. I'm going to make some guides that show how we should animate these things and kind of became more of like supervisor role. Mm -hmm. And when I was officially director, it was not like, it was not a very clean cut. I'm a director now and I'm only directing. Like it, it was very mm -hmm. amorphous as it moved into that role. Also because Primal is a small studio. So the director's, will animate a lot of the times like they will still design characters they they'll storyboard they're not in a strictly leadership role so it mm -hmm. if anything it just added <laughs> responsibility and didn't just change it <laughs> mm -hmm. and i think that was a really hard transition because i didn't know how to let go of things oh. as a director because i was still like an animator in my head and going like oh but this doesn't look great yet that's not mm -hmm. your job as the director to make sure things are perfect. It's to make sure everyone's okay and the production moves forward. So mm. I, I think it was my worst enemy during that stage. And then going to like a full on show director was like a huge leap because all of a sudden I'm responsible for so many people and I'm not allowed to really stay in the trenches with anybody for more than a certain amount of time or else something else is going to fall apart. So mm. Jellybin and Pogo was a really good way to force myself to like learn how to really let go of things because I have to choose what is my priority? Like, is it really the, the quality of this one shot or is it that everybody keeps moving forward, that production stays smooth and that everybody's still okay? Mm -hmm. so at this point though now i'm like if it moves it's good like, <laughs> <laughs> i i understand the need for perfectionism i think and i really relate to that in a lot of the animators but at the same time like now that i'm in this different role i'm like nope it looks good turn it in and, and again i don't know if you can remember this but there are definitely times where some animators would be like i'm, I'm not quite done I'm like let me see it let me see it. and i look at it and like that looks done to me <laughs> <laughs> I uh, definitely was one of those anime. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a hard time uh, just being like, oh, uh, move it from A to B, make sure it's not uh, even spacing and then like finish it. I think especially coming from like a school structure where you're like, I want it to be an A, basically, you know, yeah. I want it to be really mm, good yeah. um, or else I'll get fired or else I'll, you know, <laughs> you know, fail at school or whatever. I think. For me, especially, it's really hard to get over. Uh, hopefully, I am a little better nowadays. But <laughs> we had a really mm -hmm. like stellar team of animators. Like some of the people on our animation team was going above and beyond and hitting their deadlines, and that's yeah. that's crazy to me. Do you feel like? Uh, I think we had talked about this during one of our like one on ones or something like that. You had mentioned to me how you had a background in doing commercial. 
versus just doing series. Can you talk a little bit about that and how like maybe working on commercial animation, like doing literal commercials, yeah. I guess is yeah different from doing a series and different from doing that sort of animation and how that, did you have like a different mindset when doing that? Um, did you bring some of that to Jelly Ben and Pogo? Can you talk a bit about that? I think it definitely gave me a different mindset. It's hard to say because I never worked on series ever. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of friends jump to like Bento, other places. I stayed at Primal, so all of my animation experience prior to Jellybean and Pogo was commercial. And you did games too? or Yeah, just it's commercial okay. and interactive, oh, which okay. is, hmm. again, a whole other beast. And like, there's hmm. different limitations to your animation. There's just, there's a lot of limitations and hmm. especially limitations in time. I, I don't know if you like follow like salty animators or anything like that on Instagram. But I remember they posted this meme about um, like show production animators versus like feature and show production is like moving quickly. And then like a commercial animator comes in <laughs> and like goes insanely fast. We, we had turnarounds that were like a week for our project. Mm -hmm. it, it's insane. Christ. And whereas like some feature people are like, yeah, I've had this shot for like a month. That's that's crazy to me. <laughs> um, it might have been what drove me to help lower the quality <laughs> and as bad as that sounds, but to be like, this is acceptable because there's so much that just doesn't get perceived by the audience. So mm -hmm. I think just mm -hmm. knowing that these shots exist in a blip of time and that the bigger picture is more important. I think that may have come from being commercial and knowing that like the audience eye is not critical of this. <laughs> especially if they're four years old. <laughs> uh, something I also kind of wanted to quickly comment on just to kind of backtrack a bit, just because I think it was really interesting that you said it was when you were in that kind of like leadership position, you mentioned how you realize it's not about like perfection, but it's about checking in on your crew. I feel like that I'll, I really want to reinforce that and restate that just because I feel like sometimes we can easily forget that. And like, I feel like it is something that people don't think about when they're thinking about when they want to be like an episodic director or like a story supervisor or a lead position is oftentimes you just think about like, like you have more creative control or more an idea to kind of direct where things are going. And you don't realize that like, yes, but also don't forget the people under you or the people that are helping you bring it along. You also have to check in if they're okay or seeing how they're doing. Cause it's not all about what you want specifically. Yeah. I think people tend to make better leaders when they understand that, Leadership is not about what, yeah, what you're saying, what you want. It's, it's about your team. Once you have people reporting to you, they're your priority. It, whether you're a mm -hmm. supervisor or a full-on director, your priority is your people. And I understand that like your vision is important and your vision is just the railroad tracks, but it's your job to not be the best one in the room. Like You should know as a director that it's your job to find those good people that you're going to surround yourself with that are going to be able to execute because it's not your job to execute. <laughs> you just got to mm -hmm. make sure everyone's okay and that it stays on track. But even then, you know, it's silly to assume that as the director, you have all the answers or that you know exactly what it's supposed to look like. You have an idea, mm -hmm. but you don't want to have that completely ironed out by the time you present it to your team. Because then what do they get to bring to the table? And yeah. that's one of my favorite things about JBP is that we we let everyone go wild with their ideas and 
that's how we got these really cool moments in the show. Like, me animated a shot in the Kamayan episode where when Amy comes in, uh, she does the monopole to Lola and nobody told her to do that. <laughs> Ni just did it on her own and she researched like what greetings would be in a Filipino household. It's, it's really important to create that space that allows for your creatives to be creative. They're, they're doing mm-hmm. this stuff because they like making things too. So like, let them make something cool. Leave that open for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, very, very well put. One of the other things I also kind of want to ask is that you got to do a thing that a lot of like expiring young animators or people wanting to break animation want to do, which is like run a show. So now that you've done that, uh, is there any other like aspirations that you have for yourself in this industry? Because I feel like the main aspiration for people tends to be running their own show or being in a directorial position, but. Having done that, is there anything outside of that that you would also like to do in this industry or any aspirations that you have for yourself? Yeah, running a show really feels like peak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so it's true. (laughs) Okay, that's it. I think like a lot of people see it that way where it's like once you finally get to own something, like Mm -hmm. that's it. Mm -hmm. Like you've made it. Like you've hit the top. If you want to keep going, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And... I'm kind of in the, if you don't want it, you don't have to kind of boat. <laughs> um, I absolutely mm-hmm. want to stick with Jelly Bun and Pogo and, and see it through however long it's going to last. But mm. it's interesting. A lot of people have asked me, like, do you have aspirations for another show? Like, or this is really going to like launch your animation career into something bigger. And I'm like, it's funny you say that as if that's what I want. But like, this was mm-hmm. not a stepping stone for me. And to be honest, I never wanted a show. I was always the animator that was like, I just want to animate stuff and everyone leaves me alone. Like, it's funny that it ended up in front of me, of all people, when I know so many people who, like, want this so much more badly than I feel like I ever did. So I'm super grateful for it, but I think that the animation industry, with all of its flaws, is not the industry I want to stay in for the rest of my career. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to see this show through but um if anything i I think i'd like to leave the industry (laughs) Hmm. i guess like maybe to kind of segue maybe this leads into this but um i guess stuff that you're kind of doing outside of the industry is currently you have reopened your brand toto dasho how how would you pronounce that yeah it's toto okay Okay, I don't know. I don't know if it's something that you say or spell. Okay, so you recently reopened your brand, uh, Totoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's like uh, Sanrio with a bunch of cute characters showing off like the cute and colorful side of like Filipino culture. You've done a couple of pop up stands of a Totoo, and it's incredibly cute. Uh, from what you have shown me, from what I've seen, please please check it out. Um, it's also like on Instagram. You guys can check it out at. I'm gonna write it out. So it's at t o t o underscore s-a-r-i-s-a-r-i underscore store could you talk about how you started that brand and like why you kind of yeah why you started that up yeah so i actually started it back in 2020 i think when the pandemic was like Mm. at its peak Mm. i had already been starting to sell at conventions and stuff um i had done dinsky doodles which was like abstract pop art And I wanted to create something that was like my own that I also owned and is fully mine and no one can take it away from me (laughs) because that's kind of 
our power as creators is that we can do stuff like that. Like we can create things that are ours. Mm. Um, so I created it because I love Sanrio, but I don't see like many like Filipino versions of what they do. Like we have line mm. friends, we have Kakao friends, but and with BT21, there's like a lot of Korean and Japanese character brands, but not a lot of Filipino ones. And mm-hmm. I felt pretty empowered from Jellybutt and Pogo that I was worthy of contributing to the Filipino American community and creating this content that I was like Filipino enough to make this. So after JBP, I reopened it because it was something that I was really passionate about that I had to put down because production was pretty intense. And like, it's been such a joy to work on it now. (laughs) It's a hundred percent like in my control, like what direction the brand goes in. And in that same vein, I I love listening to our audience and seeing what they'd be interested in and just speaking to them specifically. Like Mm. my favorite thing about popping up has been people coming up and just knowing what I'm trying to say with this work because it's made for them. They understand the inside jokes. They understand what the Filipino words are. They they get it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that that kind of interaction in me is is what I'm most excited about now in my career. So it's a lot of this like face to face, people lighting up because they feel seen. And I do have to thank Jellybin and Pogo for that. But I just I like designing stuff too. I like making bags and mm-hmm. shirts and trinkets <laughs> and toys that look like food. Like if you've you've known me for my whole life, like I've always liked tiny things, cute things and stuff that looks like food. So this is really kind of all of my interests put together. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. So awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it's been really cool seeing all of the stuff you're making on on the total of like Instagram. I've never really seen an independent maker using like those cans <laughs> you know like drink holder cans that's <laughs> that kind of stuff the designed cans that you use i don't know how to explain this they look like soda cans but they're like containers for other stuff yeah they're tumblers <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, it's extremely mm-hmm. cute and the way that you show how like stuff like that is made i think is really interesting the uh what sublimation sort of process like all of your crafting stuff it's really cool and I'm glad you get to to do that now. I didn't yeah. realize that you were making this. I guess you pitched Jelly Ben and Pogo in 2018, and it was in production when you made Toto. It it was in development <laughs> when okay. I made Toto, and then mm-hmm. when production started, Toto stopped. <laughs> so that was like 2021. <laughs> was when we really got into production. Oh, okay. And then now the brand is open back up again, so for people to kind of. To go check it out, to go look at it, to get some stuff. But yeah, I, I think I also kind of like that the concept of like seeing something like Sanrio and realizing there isn't like stuff that represent you or your culture and just trying to create something for people to identify with or people to relate to. I think that's that's really, really beautiful. And I really appreciate that. And I guess that kind of segues into the next question. It's like, how do you feel your cultural background kind of influences your art? It's the foundation of my art now. And it wasn't ever before. Um, Mm. I I think a lot of Asian Americans can relate to wanting to assimilate and bury that half of you, especially when you grow up somewhere where there aren't a lot of other people that look like you, you do everything you can to fit in. So I feel like for the longest time, I really buried the Filipino part of me and Mm. it feels really nice to 
have to dig into that and be okay with it and love it and nurture it in order to create what I'm creating now, which in turn nurtures me as like a whole person because now there, there's no part of me that I feel like I have to hide in order to create content. Like I'm creating content that is me. And because of that, there are people who identify with it and love it because they see themselves too. So it is, it's everything now. And it's, it's definitely what I want to continue making. And I want to make sure that I continue contributing to like the Filipino American community with what I can create and with the skills that I have, which is generating cute art. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think you said uh, earlier on that you made Toto because you got to a place where you felt like you could make art that represented Filipino, Filipino culture. Was that just because you were working on Jelly Ben and Pogo or were you doing things like, I don't know, talking to your Filipino family more and you're like, maybe I'm more in in the community now? Or I guess what, what kind of were the things that made you feel like you were worthy of representing your community or you felt part of the community again? It really was the show. Like mm. creating that was really healing for me because I was really forced to look at that side of me and acknowledge it and also pull from it. So I really had to talk to family to get ideas. I had to think about my childhood. I had to think about my own experiences that were in fact cultural, whether I had wanted to acknowledge that they were or not. And look at them in a positive lens because they were going to help me in what I was doing now. Instead of looking back at it and being like, I wish I had grown up in a different kind of household or I wish I had looked different. Like, no, having these features, having these experiences are now my superpower in, in a production like this. So mm. now I get to be proud of it. And yeah, it it's... It really, it really was the show. Like, I, if I think that, like, if I had never done Jelly Bit and Pogo, I wouldn't feel the same way about being Filipino now. And it's, it's really sad that it took something that enormous mm-hmm. to just, to just like fall back in love with who I am. And mm-hmm. it's why I also feel like we have to continue making it because you know not everybody's going to have an opportunity that big to be okay with their cultural half. So we need to just normalize it. We need to continue being loud and and creating that space for Mm -hmm. people to just be okay with it at a Mm -hmm. much younger age and not when they're, you know, approaching their 30s. Yeah. Yeah. But we also need content like Jelly Ben and Pogo to like kids understand that it's okay to like represent or show your culture, not feel the need to assimilate to American culture. Yeah. Yeah. I really love those. You you post a lot of clips of parents (laughs) <laughs> videotaping their children <laughs> watching Jelly Ben and Pogo and their reactions to it and how much they love it and you know they won't understand it being like two or three years old but I feel like those kids are going to grow up liking their Filipino half you know we're gonna mm-hmm. have less <laughs> kids going through that anguish of you know I have to hide that part of myself for like I hate that part of myself so yeah I think it's really important like you said I hope so. I I know that there are definitely kids that are actually introducing the culture back into their homes when it's been lost. Because I had, um, I I go to Kamayan here in Atlanta every now and then to get food because they're so good. (laughs) But um, they always have a line. So I bring JVP stickers just in case there's kids that have watched our show and I can like give them to them. And that's cute. Yeah, there was these siblings, a boy and a girl. They looked about the right age range for our show. So I asked them if they watched it and they both said yes. 
So I handed them the stickers and I later got a message from the mother on Instagram and she didn't know that they were watching it. <laughs> Her kids oh. are, they're half Filipino. So she's the Filipino half. And oh. uh. she said that they asked her, do you know what halo halo means? And she's like, no, I don't because she doesn't speak the Galog. And they said, it means mix mix. <laughs> so <laughs> she was like, they were teaching me the Galog words. And I was like, so happy to know that in a family where it could have just died out completely, that yeah. there's, there's mm-hmm. reason to keep it alive. And it's a little bit easier because there's just content available to help keep it alive. Yeah. So I cute. love that. I know. It's beautiful. <laughs> I was like, wow, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> it's great to know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jalisa. Before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? So you can find me on Instagram at Jalisa L, J-A-L-Y-S-A-L. That's my professional account. And sometimes I post JBP stuff. I don't really post a lot, but if you want to reach me, that's where I am. And um <laughs> And again, like Totoo, we are Totoo Sari Sari store on Instagram and we pop up quite a bit. We're going to be at Dragon Con this year. We're going to be at a lot of other conventions with SabiCon, AWA. So if you're <laughs> around the Southeast, like come see us. I love interacting with folks that come by our booth and everything like that. And um, yeah, hopefully just follow our journey on Instagram. Yes, do it. Do it, audience member. <laughs> yes. Or else. <laughs> <laughs> and as we come to a close, what final advice would you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? So my advice that I generally like to give people, and this isn't just for animation, but in general, when you move into a career like out of school, is to build community and not just an art community, like not just with coworkers, but like find your community out there where you live and find good friends to surround yourself with. Like if you're good with your family, like keep those relationships strong because, you know, your career isn't your entire life. And there are going to be things that come up both at work and outside of work that you're going to need support for. If you don't have support, it makes those things 20 times harder to deal with. So that. Mm-hmm. Is really something important to prioritize. And I think especially today, you know, post-pandemic, people are inside a lot. And it's a good reminder that we need to be out there and we need to be in the same space as other folks and connecting. And, and yeah, just making sure that, that you're around good people and that you're supporting those good people, too. Mm-hmm. Well put. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Well, perfect advice. And if you enjoyed our interview with Jalisa today... Please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. I'm really glad that Jalisa accepted our invite to, to be on <laughs> this month. This interview was everything and more that I could have ever dreamed. Aw, thanks. Yeah. Of course I would. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itliong. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. And thank you once again to our guests who will continue to have a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye.